Hey, happy horse lovers. Coach Christy here. Um, it's been a long time since I recorded a podcast and I was reminded of that um, today. So um, I thought I would take a minute here to share a story with you. Um, I, many months ago, made the goal of telling each of my horses story um, with you. And so there is an episode about Maxie, my paint mare, who um, has been in my life for 20 years. The The podcast is all about how she came to be in my life. And um, I would love to tell you about Saturi today. And I will do my very best to tell you, try to tell you without getting overly emotional. Um, because many of you will know that um, I had to put Saturi down almost a year ago um, in March. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But let's start with the happy parts. So in 2008, while I was still working as a full-time instructor on campus for Pirelli Natural Horsemanship, I was asked if I would be willing to go to Dubai in the UAE, in the Middle East, um, to teach Pirelli for six weeks. There was a company there called Hoofbeats that had a natural horsemanship program, and they wanted to send their natural horsemanship instructor to Pirelli um, for six weeks to train, and that was gonna leave a big hole in their business. And so they um, contacted Pat and Linda and asked if they had an instructor that they could do a swap with. <laughs> and so um, Linda asked me to go, and um, I agreed. It was a very um, great adventure. I'm just like a country mouse from, you know, the middle of nowhere, Iowa, in the middle of a cornfield somewhere in Iowa, right? And, uh, you know, had never been anywhere out of the country. That was my first um, time uh, going anywhere outside of the U.S. It was crazy. It was a wild adventure. I'm really glad I got to do it. Uh, but one of the best things about that trip was that I was given the opportunity to play with Iberian horses. There was mostly um, Andalusian stallions in the barn. There were also um, some really beautiful Arabians, which I enjoyed very much. Um, but I got to play with Andalusians and, and a little bit of one Lusitano. Um, but I had never experienced in person you know, um, being able to ride and play with Iberian horses, and I fell in love. Those horses were so amazing. They were gorgeous. They were playful without being too dominant, even though um, some of them were stallions. And the their movement as a rider is unique. It, it's not something you can experience in, with any other breed. It has a, a, a type of grace and um, sex appeal, I would even say, <laughs> um, that you just can't, I've never experienced it with any other breed, and I've ridden pretty much all of them. So when I came home from Dubai, and people were asking me, you know, how was it? My answer, my standard answer was, it was great. I, you know, it was a good experience. It was hot, and I didn't like the food, but I loved the horses, right? So I fell in love with Iberian horses. And every time I was given an opportunity to talk about it, I would proclaim out loud that I need an Iberian horse in my life. I must have one. And so I began manifesting Saturi. I, I asked the universe 
um, you know, I want a black one, I want it to be a mare, I want her to be dramatic. <laughs> and I came home from Dubai in October of 2008, and by November, there was a student um, of the Pirelli program that was offering me an Iberian horse. She said she had a few on her place, and if I felt like any of them was a good match, that, um, you know, she would give them to me uh, because Iberian horses, generally speaking, it can be a bit pricey. They're somewhat rare in the U.S. and, um, you know, considered, you know, valuable horses, so they can be a little bit difficult to come across. So she was, she was ready to give me one. So I was super excited. I went to her place to check out the horses she had available as soon as I possibly could. I'm sure within a day or two. <laughs> And um, she had a really beautiful rose gray PRE and illusion, um, but her personality, her you know personality, however you want to say it, um, was similar to Maxie's. And I had already spent a lot of time with that personality, and so I wanted to try something different. And so <clears throat> I wasn't really interested in that mare. The other one was a gelding, and my friend Avery had already fallen in love with him, so he wasn't really an option. And Saturi was a baby. And so initially I wasn't even gonna look at her because I wasn't interested in a horse that I was gonna have to, you know, um, raise <laughs> before I could start riding and things. So I, I initially said, you know, no thank you. I don't think I really want a, you know, a baby. She was only six months old. Um, and the, the woman who was offering her to me was like, well, she's already in a stall. And, you know, it, it can't hurt to just go look at her. And I asked the most ridiculous question that's not even relevant. It shouldn't be, you know, a, an important ingredient to deciding whether or not to bring a horse into your life. But I asked what color she was, and she said she was black. So, of course, that's what I had been manifesting. So, of, of, you know, my brain just lit up like, okay, well, I have to at least look at her. And she was everything I was asking for. I didn't, I wasn't specific enough with the universe. I should have said I wanted one old enough, mature enough to start riding. Um, but she was everything I asked for. She was Iberian. She was technically half thoroughbred, right? Lusitano thoroughbred cross, which some folks will call an Iberian warm blood. Uh, but in her physicality, she was Iberian. The way she moved and her... Um, body type and everything. She had very little thoroughbred looks, very much Iberian looking. And she was black. She was really actually a very, very, very dark bay, but she came across as looking black and she was dramatic. <laughs> I asked her to go somewhere just so I could see how she moved. And <clears throat> she was all kinds of sassy and big and, and um, just dramatic. So I fell in love right away. Um, agreed that she would become my horse right away and, and started making arrangements to have her um, join me on campus um, on the faculty team. So that was in 2008, she came into my life and um, she came with every possible challenge that I uh, hadn't encountered yet. She was extremely opinionated, very argumentative, um, really loved to rare, <laughs> not on cue, but as, a, um, you know, a form of, um, uh, defiance. <laughs> she loved to show everyone her belly button. She was really good at it. And at any time 
she was confused or didn't want to do what I was asking her to do, she would basically walk around on her hind legs. Um, but I fell deeply and madly in love with her right away. She um, honestly reminded me of myself. I, I got into the habit of saying, you know, that she was me in, in horse skin, right? Like if I were a horse, this is what I would look like um, and behave like, right? And, you know, she had very similar needs from me that I need from my leaders. And um, we, we did great, great things. I, I feel very um, satisfied and proud of the relationship that we developed over the years. And um, everything was going really, really well until about three years ago, she started to have some um, troubles with her hind end. Um, you know, her, her back legs um, would kind of like dip every once in a while. She started to have a really hard time at the canter. She, she would bunny hop all the time. And because of her argumentative nature for a long time, I thought it was um, behavioral, um, but it turned out to be physical. Um, I, I never was able to get a very definitive diagnosis because it's really hard to diagnose lameness issues in the hindquarters. Um, especially if it's above the hocks, because you can't get very good images of that part of a horse's anatomy. There's too much flesh for the x-rays to like get through to um, bones and, and soft tissue and that sort of thing. So um, the best we can figure is that she had um, a compromised pelvis, probably a, a fractured pelvis that most likely um, affected her hip joint on the left side. So I tried my best with every resource I had available to me for three years um, to um, improve the quality of her life. And she would have good spouts. Um, right before I had to put her down, she actually spent a year turned out with my herd. Um, so she got to you know spend the last year of her life being uh, you know a, a, a member of a herd doing horsey things. Um, but in the end, um, none of it really f fixed it. She, she was still in pain. Um, and last March I made the really tough decision that, um, you know, that it wasn't going to be possible to alleviate her pain. So I, um, made arrangements to, to end her suffering and that event was absolutely, without doubt, the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I still question whether or not it was the right thing to do. And um, I miss her every single day. I, I probably tear up about it a little bit every single day still. It's almost a year later. And that's probably not super healthy. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I still wrestle with if, if there was anything more I could have done for her. But the reason I want to tell you this part of the story, hopefully without choking up too much, is a very <clears throat> important thing happened the day that I had to say goodbye to Satori. Um, on that day, I realized that everything that any horse has ever presented to me as a challenge 
isn't the important part. It is not a reason to get upset. It's not a reason to get frustrated or angry. Um, it might be a reason to get afraid. <laughs> if it's dangerous, it might be a reason to, to get scared because that's a healthy response to, um, you know, your physical well-being being, um, in danger. But what, what the final gift Saturi gave me was that, a, a a deeper understanding of learning that the important part of what we do is the process. The product doesn't matter. It, it lacks value. It has a, a momentary or, or a fleeting value. So every time we achieve a goal that we set for our partnership, yes, of course, that feels great. I remember the first time I I was able to deliberately get a flying lead change with Saturi, I was ecstatic. Um, but I can tell you this, it isn't what I was thinking about the day her heart stopped beating. I was not thinking about flying changes. I was not thinking about fancy demos. All I was thinking about was how much I was going to miss my friend. And if I were magically granted one more day with her, I wouldn't spend it doing any of those things. I would spend it loving on her and soaking her up and telling her how much I love her and appreciate her and just doing everything within my power to make her feel loved and, and accepted. So <clears throat> more and more over the last year, it, it wasn't like a, a switch was flipped. I still feel momentary um, bouts of frustration. Please don't get me wrong on that one. I am a human. <laughs> but quicker and quicker, those moments um, dissipate because... It doesn't matter, guys. It doesn't matter. The love is what matters. The partnership is what matters. The The joy of the process is something that we can choose every single time we are privileged enough to spend time with our horses. And I have heard, <laughs> you know, from trusted and admired and respected mentors for 25 years that it is best if we learn to enjoy the journey, right? To relax and enjoy the journey, to, to value the process more than we value the product. And intellectually, I understood what that meant. Yeah, sure. Those so that sounds logical. That sounds good. Um, I get it. But um, my childhood caused me to develop type A um, you know, tendencies of very much um, a results orientated person or have been. And so that, you know, I could hear the words and understand the concept, but could never really apply it really, right? I said I was. <laughs> but um, honestly, I really wasn't fully applying it until Saturi died. And um, that's what I want to, you know, end with with you guys today. I one of the things I tell a lot of students is remember that that time in your life where um, you didn't have so many rules around what it took to be happy about what your horses 
brought into your life, right? It didn't take, I had a, I was a lucky kid. I got to grow up with horses for the most part in my life. And the horse that um, I rode the most when I was a kid was not that great of a horse. <laughs> I loved him desperately, um, but he was hard to catch. He spooked a lot. Uh, you know, he bucked me off on a somewhat regular basis and often would end up um, back at the barn without me. So, um, I, but I, it didn't matter. All he had to do was exist in my life for me to want to spend time with him. So that's, that's what I want to finish this podcast on, guys, is just a reminder that someday you are likely to have to say goodbye to that individual, whoever that partner is in your life. And my goal now is very heavily focused on ensuring that when that beautiful creature uh, makes their transition to whatever's next, that they know that they were loved and that I appreciate them and that if someone on the other side asks them what was life like with me, that they have good things to say, okay? So um, relax and enjoy the journey. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.